Good afternoon, folks. It's that time of the day again. It's time for the Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM Talk. Uh, this is your host, Sam DeMarco. As always, I'm joined in studio by my trusty executive director, John Schneider, who still will not say anything today, but just, just looks at us and smiles. Thanks, John, Sam. a pleasure to have you here today. And our producer, you know, Dazzling Dandy Daryl Grandy, the guy that makes all the magic happen. You know, also, he's a host. Of his own show, the D&G Morning Show That's right. on WJAS on 1320 AM. And uh, we appreciate Daryl you know, working with us to make sure that we can get the magic that we take and concoct here in the studio out to you, our listeners. And we have a great show for you this week. And we're joined also in studio by a good friend, a longtime uh, uh, buddy here and a legislator, uh, Jason Ortitai, our state representative in the 46th State Legislative District. Jason Thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here. Always, always a fan, and I and I do feel the magic in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I, you know, we, I, John. Ne- next week, let's get like those Merlin the Magician hats or something like, right? <laughs> because of what happens here. But no, um, Jason, we really appreciate you stopping by here today and to speak to our folks and sort of tell them a little bit about what's happening, you know, up there in Harrisburg. Because uh, you know, all we know is supposedly that. Uh, you know that it's like uh, a biblical flood, with, you know, forty <laughs> days of rain or some reason that they had to close. The house can't meet because they're worried about you know a uh, leak in the roof. Yeah, so, it, it's it's been really weird. Um, I've never look. This is my uh, this will be my tenth year in the legislature, and I've never seen a delay like this. Now I was in the Capitol last week. Uh, for the BEFC commission meeting, and they did have scaffolding up, but I don't think there's any reason why we should not be in session in January and February of this year. I mean, the governor's budget address is going to be held in the rotunda uh, of the Capitol uh, on February 6th, but there's no reason why we can't be doing business. Now, we are doing some committee meetings, but we should be having session. This is, I mean, we're a full-time legislature. Even if we're not having, even if the House floor, because of the leaky roof, is not a place for us to have session. You know, years ago when they had floods, they used the church down the street or other facilities. <laughs> There's other facilities in town that we could very easily set up uh, and do the people's work. And uh, for whatever reason, I mean, you can come up with your own theories there. Oh. Um, we are just, we're basically closed in the house until I think March 18th. Yeah. I, I don't have to come up with a theory. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's politics. Okay. And right now the house is evenly split one on one to one on one and Democrats are terrified that if they came back in and they were in session, they wouldn't be able to pass any of the stupid, incredibly stupid legislation that they're working on in committee through. I mean, I received a news alert earlier this week that the judiciary committee there in the house, they passed through a ban on automatic and semi-automatic weapons, okay? Folks, a semi-automatic weapon is your typical hunting rifle or whatever, okay? Or any type of pistol where you pull the trigger one at a time. You pull the trigger once for every bullet that is fired, okay? I mean, it's like they don't understand what the state constitution says. There's no regard for constitutional rights. Um, And this, again, when the Democrats are in the majority, they made the rules. They have a one-seat majority, yet on every committee, it's 15 to 11. So you get an extra four votes on every committee, which means you can pretty much run anything out of committee and still have a couple uh, defections. Uh, And I don't don't know what the vote count was. I'm pretty sure it was a party-line vote. But you can run stuff out of that in committee, and then it'll come to the House floor, and that stuff will go nowhere. Because... There, there, will, there is no doubt in my mind there will be at least a few Democrats that vote no on those bills if they if they're 
if they come up to a vote. But yeah, it's it's this ludicrousness of bringing these bills up in the first place. Like these are constitutional rights, and you just think you can just legislate around them. Well, it, what's funny is that you, you know it, it just drives me crazy with the Democrats. Okay, um, they want to go out there and position themselves. They say they are defending democracy. Meanwhile, their party's been taken over by socialists. <laughs> Okay, you know they they're they're advocating socialism and socialist policies, but while they're still claiming to defend democracy, they want to take this is this is another part of this. Okay, they want to take in one they've weaponized you know government, so they're trying to prosecute okay their leading political opponent. They want to throw him in jail. They want to remove him from the ballot. Jason, in, in my entire life, when the United States or the United Nations you know monitors elections. In third world countries, these are the behaviors that they look towards, you know, as things that violate people's rights. But this is today's Democrat Party who are defending democracy. Can you imagine if the tables and everything were flipped and the Republicans were doing this to, to Biden to what the Democrats oh, would say? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's 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 hypocrisy at its finest here. And, you know, just seeing it happen in real time. Uh, from a political vantage point, I mean, it's basically they're they're accusing Republicans of everything that they are doing. You know, and this is something. I mean, since I got involved in politics, this has been the modus operandi from the Democratic Party for your projection. You know, the things that they accuse the Republicans of are the things that they're doing themselves. Another example. You know, regardless of how you may feel, or anyone may, any of our listeners may feel about former President Trump, <clears throat> Democrats are trying to take and present uh, this frightening theory that, you know, if he he's an autocrat and voting for Trump brings in authoritarianism. I can tell you firsthand, firsthand, he is anything but. When I was on council, and I still am on council, but when he was in office, I attended multiple meetings at the White House where you had county commissioners from all over the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And, and then they did this with all these other states as well. And, but where they were taking and trying to push decision-making back to the Commonwealth and to the counties, because they believed they believe in the concept of federalism, and that the decisions are best made closest to the people. Because they say, you know, uh, you know, for us, that the county executive or county commissioner knows their constituents better than even than the governor, you know, or certainly than anyone in Washington, right? So you have that. That's how he behaved. Then you have Biden, who's doing things like just bureaucratically, you know, changing. Uh, saying, oh, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to forgive student loans and forgive the loans that graduate students, lawyers, doctors, and engineers are paying and foist them on the backs of taxpayers, people that never went to school. Well, think about it this way. I mean, the mainstream media and their treatment of uh, former President Trump and, and what they're what they're doing now. I mean, the full-scale attack, the dictator comments. Uh, I mean, look, the, in, in their view, politics is reality. I mean, Trump was president for four years. I mean, last time I checked, he didn't use the military to go after political rivals. He didn't use DOJ to go after political rivals. He didn't do any of that stuff that they're right. saying that he's going to do now. Right. So, I mean, his past president doesn't doesn't support that theory, but they don't want him to be the next president. So they are going to do everything that they can to portray him as this dictator when he, I believe he jokingly said it at one of his rallies, and that's what they're trying to pin it on. Yes. Well, I mean, and, you know, and I, and folks, I hate to go off on this. We brought Jason in because we wanted to talk to him about the things that are going on in Harrisburg. We wanted to talk about the government governor's budget address. We wanted to talk about uh, the new 
the ruling on funding or the, the bill that the Democrats put up based upon the Commonwealth Court ruling on school funding and things like that. But I'm just worked up, <laughs> you know, over all this insanity and these things that they keep saying. And again, I, I, where, we, where we lose, Jason, is that, you know, we forget that it's not Republicans versus Democrats or, you know, it's Republicans versus Democrats and the mainstream media, you know, and all their allies in academia and Hollywood and and you just keep adding, right? So it's certainly not you know, a fair battle when the culture and media is stacked against us. Oh, it, it definitely is. I mean, even even at my level, at the at the state level, I mean, look, there are some there are some really good reporters and, and media out there that give us a fair shake. And but when you look at the national, I mean, I. I can't even I, I can't even tell you the last time I watched the news just because it is yeah. it is clearly like from my vantage point so slanted in one area it, it doesn't matter like it, it and you watch it and you leave it so depressed and so skewed on what the actual facts and reality are like it's it's just not even worth watching the news anymore. Well, and I mean again, you know, uh, it, here we are. Our country's being invaded. You know, we have a real crisis. Yeah, think about that for a border. second. You have the state of Texas who basically took over Eagles Pass, which is where most of the illegal immigrants are coming in mm-hmm. from, and they kicked out the federal government. Now you have the federal government suing and sending strongly worded letters to the state of Texas for enforcing federal law. <laughs> right. Like, th- like, think about how right. crazy that is. <laughs> right. Yeah, and the, the Biden administration is going to go to court or step in to stop the state of Texas. Yeah. And it's like, you know, wait a minute here. You know, they're, they're advocating their responsibility, and then they want to take and prevent the folks who are stepping up to enforce the law from doing so. I, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Never. Folks, <laughs> it, it is absolutely insane, and we're going to – I think I'm going to use this first segment here, here, Jason. I think we're – let's get this all out of our system. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second segment, we can talk about, you know, the, the things we want to talk about, like as far as things in Harrisburg and – I mean, I, you know uh, – it's just, it, the, the, folks, there is not a break here. Okay, we, we, we just don't get a break. And, and you know, it's here in, in Allegheny County. You know, we elected a former member of the Democrat Socialist of America to be our county executive. And, you know, it hey, it started off, you know, just as you would expect. Went to the inauguration. Let's see. I'll tell you how it opened. Woman comes out and she sings the national anthem. Now, no Pledge of Allegiance or anything, but she comes out and sings the national anthem. Then she sings the black national anthem. Then she sits down. A labor leader gets up and talks about how he had to change his remarks because he was going to talk about all the accomplishments that our new county executive has had. And then she said she wanted them to strip them out so she could focus on the people. And I'm still at a loss. I can't figure out what those accomplishments other than getting elected are. Okay. Then after he sits down, then we get the LGBTQIA+. Now, folks, that, that's all real, okay? Their chorus comes out, and they sing their anthem. Then they sit down, and we get SEIU Mayor Ed Ganey <laughs> steps up, you know, and rants at everybody for a while. Then he sits down. Then we get a rapper that comes out and says, says some poem. Then she comes out and gets sworn in. So how do they top that? I mean, I, I was walking out. Folks were in shock. I had people looking at me like – Folks, I never knew we had that many anthems, you know. Yeah, I, I, I gotta say here, you know, being an elected official, yeah, it, it look, it feels good as a person uh, working hard to, to when you win the election, you get sworn in, great. 
whatever. But when did these things start turning into like coronation events? Like this isn't about like yes, you are the you are the new elected official. But why are we doing like going through all this pomp and circumstance? Like get sworn in and let's get to work. That's what it's about. Like it shouldn't be this long drawn out thing. You want to have a party? Go have a party. Put that on your dime, pay have your campaign pay for it. Do whatever you want there. But let's get to work. I mean, that should be the the mantra here. Like, there's a lot of things going on in Allegheny County. Like, there's a lot of big problems that need to be solved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how long coronations like that really benefit anybody, or at least the people they say they're there to help. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but that's that's my perspective on it. I have never been a fan of the big pomp and circumstance, even with the the presidential elections that we've seen and the big balls and all that. Like, that's like. 18, 1700 monarch type stuff. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, but see, you hit the nail on the head here, something. You said, you said that it's great to celebrate, you know, the whole bit, but when does it turn into a coronation? You said, because you said it's not about you. Let me read a quote here from our new county executive that was in the city paper. She said, that's great that we've reinvented ourselves to be the place of innovation and tech and eds and meds. Inamorato says, quote, but it hasn't helped me. It hasn't helped my family generationally. And so it's not enough to say, look at this prosperity. If we're not being intentional in the realm of the public policy space, unquote. Now, so that comes in. The next day, she comes out and announces a minimum wage hike for all the employees in Allegheny County, non-union in part-time and seasonal. She says she's going to raise it to $22 an hour by 2027. Okay. Was now, this, was this an executive order? Yes. I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I don't pretend to know the <coughs> inner workings of council government, but uh, county government, but you know, these executive orders at every level are ridiculous. Well, I mean, you talk about, we talked earlier about Trump being a dictator and I know what he was talking about, like doing executive orders, but the legislatures everywhere have allowed this executive order nonsense to happen. Well, you know, she she is the executive, has the ability and has the authority to take and do this, okay? But where I'm going with it that drives me crazy is uh, she did it, no negotiation, no nothing, just came out and said, I feel like this, boom, I did it. So media asked, uh, you know, well, how much is this going to cost? And she looks at her staff, she had no idea. She, They had no idea. So they'd have to get with the budget folks and get back to them, okay? Now- how do you take and come out and spend money without understanding how much it's going to cost? Then, back when council tried to do this last year, and I fought this and voted against it, but when council tried to raise it just to $20 an hour, Rich Fitzgerald and his administration came out and said doing so would set off you know, dominoes, so to speak, and wage compression would then require and necessitate a $30 million tax increase. So my question is, how much is a $22 an hour wage going to do? And then something else she said. And I quote, she said at that session, she said she did this to give the unions a higher floor from which to bargain from, unquote. Now, we have 16 union contracts up in 2024 here locally. They serve over 4,215 workers. Now, if you're giving away $3 an hour raises to many with no negotiation, what do you think these union negotiators are going to come in and ask for? Okay, and and where is that going to go? So we don't even know what those costs are going to be, right? <clears throat> so she does this, and then 
A couple days later, she comes in, or it was a week later, she comes back in and announces she's going to take and give away $500,000 to basically 28 families to help pay their childcare expenses in Allegheny County. And we have, and then they say, well, we believe there are like 15,000 families that could be eligible or children that could be eligible. I mean, so folks, I sit here and I share this stuff with you so that, you know, you can understand why my head is, is looking to explode. At the same time this is happening, if you're paying attention, uh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reported the week before last that just three buildings, just three downtown buildings, they had their assessed values reduced by $183.2 million for 2022 and $193.6 million for 2023. Well, Jason, what that means is while she's spending money with this hand, on the other hand, we're going to have to write a check for a million seven hundred and eighty-two thousand to those three entities out of the twenty twenty-four budget, and we're going to be short nine hundred and fifteen thousand seven hundred and twenty-eight bucks coming in because their value has been reduced. Now, that's three properties. There are fifty-five properties that are under appeal with a total assessed value of a one and a half billion. If we get cuts like this, I mean, folks, we are facing a fiscal cliff. So I'm telling you how dire it is. But let me also tell you how disappointing it is, okay? Because in this past election in November for county executive, we have approximately 256,490 registered Republicans in Allegheny County, okay? So let me repeat that, folks. That's uh, 256,490. Do you know how many Republicans voted in this past election? 112,493. And Joe Rocky lost by 9,483 votes. So, you know, what's frustrating for me, and I'm not talking about for me personally, but for all of us, is that we had the power, we had the ability to take and do something about this so we're not going to suffer like we are for at least the next four years or longer. Well, and that's been our conundrum is how do we get our Republicans out to vote? Exactly. You know, I think I was hearing the stats of the nationwide, all de- 60% of Democrats voted by mail in the 2020 election. That's not going to happen this year. I, I just, I don't see that happening. Um, and I'm not saying that all Republicans need to vote by mail, but, you know, Sam, this is where, where I think we need to figure out how do we get these people activated and interested and out to vote? I mean, having less than half of our registered voters out there i mean if it i mean we don't know if our voter rolls are even accurate at this point but just to go out we just need to find a way to reach them and to get them out there well let's 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 i mean you're you're pointing the voter rolls let's face it i mean folks our voter rolls are not accurate and the reason being is i could if i had a magic wand and i could make them accurate right now you know before this show was over they'd be inaccurate because on average in allegheny county we lose, you know, approximately 15,300 people a year die yeah. here in Allegheny County. We have 126,000 real estate transactions every year in Allegheny County, okay? <clears throat> so, you know, so so to your point, Jason, I mean, they're, they're not accurate, but our folks, their focus is always on, you know, something that isn't hitting the mark. Right. You know, they're, you know we had a, a great deal of folks were running around while this election is taking place, and they put a tremendous amount of energy and resources into trying to get affidavits 
completed the, yeah, the, yeah, the <laughs> that would take and say, okay, well, they were looking at the post office's national change of address list, and they're saying, okay, here's somebody that they supposedly moved. So they're getting affidavits filled out and completed and turned in because they're, you know, these, these people are on the list. Right. And I, I get that, you know, but that's, that's a process that typically the elections department has to do anyway. What, Allegheny County was basis. sued, what, how many years ago? And they had to take 90, 2019. Yeah, they had 90,000. 69,000. 69,000 people yeah. they had to take off. And look, I know there are rules from the state where they can only take, like they can only purge voter uh, voter rolls between there has to be so many days between elections and with special elections it messes it up but still yet i mean that's every county and allegheny county is the second most populous county in the right. state so i mean you look at that i mean we've got to make sure those are updated yeah what happens is the federal voting rights act restricts you from being able to remove names right. from a voter rolls for the 90 days of an election so 90 days before 90 days after you can't and we had and how many special elections, elections. Exactly. I, I mean we were like special election <laughs> exactly after special exactly and that's why that's why the number when we did it in early 2020, in January yeah. 2020, was so large, okay? But it does happen. But my point is, what I'm trying to bring out is we have folks, I mean, they're patriots. They're doing the best that they can, okay? But the efforts that went into that, if the efforts might have been in trying to get more Republicans out to vote, you know, might we have been able to make up that 9,000 vote margin? And might Joe Rocky have been the county executive? Because that would have addressed a lot of concerns that people have in regards to elections. No, you're you're absolutely right on that. And I, I want to go back to, to something you said. Um, you know, talk about generational from the shift from the the steel, the from basically from this area being a big steel place mm -hmm. uh, to basically being a, a rust belt area where there was nothing here, and then bringing in the medical, the insurances, the the biopharmaceuticals, the the tech, all those like. I think a lot of people disregard the amount of work and what this area would look like without that. To say that that doesn't touch everybody in this area and affect them generationally is is just, it, it's not on par with reality because it, the effect, the reaching effect, the economic input and in, impact, I'm sorry, that it's had on Pittsburgh, the city of Pittsburgh, Allegheny County, Washington County, and the surrounding counties, I mean, Gosh, think of how many people have moved here and look at the areas that are growing because of what this area has transformed into. Had it not transformed into that, can you imagine what this... I mean, I remember what it was like in the mid-90s and early 2000s around here. I mean, did, you think the airport would have happened at that point? Do you think that we'd be hemorrhaging... We'd be hemorrhaging population out of this area like crazy. I mean, look at the Strip District and what it's turned into. That mm -hmm. place was a dump. Right. I mean, it was horrible. The, the, the inner, I mean, this place was turning into a third world country at that point. Without that reinvention, to say that it had no generational impact, that, that, that's absurd. Well, I mean, it, but, but that's where, that's the folks that are leading today. And this is why it's so frustrating. I can tell you that, <clears throat> folks, you know, you know, I'm an elected official, okay? But I can tell you, you're not sending your best and brightest to all these offices. And what's happened is, you know, Jason, we talk about the collapse of the steel industry. I lived this. You know, I'm a bit older. So I, you know, I, I came, I was uh, discharged from the Marine Corps back in January of 1980. So I came home in the midst of the steel collapse and everything like that. You know, unemployment was high. This is, you know, the Carter years, yeah. the whole bit. And uh, it was a mess. <clears throat> but I, I can't tell you over the years, the number of politicians who have sprained their shoulders, patting themselves in the back, talking about how they've, you know, they've, we've transformed in edge and meds. You know, I, I have a slightly more pessimistic opinion. Um, that's all that was left. 
you know, because you can't pick up a university and move it. No. And you can't pick up a health system and move it, right? Now, granted that these folks have done a phenomenal job in expanding their operations. I mean, UPMC has grown tremendously. You know, the, uh, the, the universities and colleges, you know, and ideas have come out of there, have created businesses. But, you know, it's also malpractice on behalf of these politicians because, you know, while they talk about this transformation, at the same time, while they're turning and they're bragging about what they've done and transformed this, they didn't they never thought to put in place any type of system or any type of uh, answer for the fact that they were taking and, and moving all these properties off of the tax rolls. How many missed opportunities? Oh, they just and they just pile up and pile up and pile up and you know you know again it's uh, folks when you go out to vote it's extremely important that you do your due diligence you do your research you try to understand what the issues are look into a legislator's background you look at someone like Jason and you look at what he's been working on for years and the things that he's been able to accomplish you know meet with him talk to him. If you listen, just listen to him speak, and you'll hear in the second segment as he talks about these issues in Harrisburg, I mean, here's a guy that gets it. I mean, we're very fortunate to have someone of his caliber, you know, representing us in Harrisburg. But we need similar caliber here in Allegheny County and in Washington as well. So, folks, we're going to have to take a break here. We have to, you know, pay the bills. So uh, this is Sam DeMarco, your host, Elfin in the Room on WJS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM Talk. We'll be right back. After the break. Folks, welcome back to the Elephant in the Room. This is Sam DeMarco here, and we are joined in studio today. We were just speaking with a State Representative Jason Ortitai from the 46th State Legislative District. And, uh, folks, you had to listen a lot to me just complaining and moaning in that first segment. I'm going to shut up here because Jason has some great things he wants to talk about. And, Jason, you want to talk to the folks about the basic education funding? Yeah, important. so... so um Every five years, this funding commission, the Basic Education Funding Commission, is supposed to be put together. It's made up of uh, appointees from all four caucuses and the administration, so basically three from each. Last time, this will be the second time this was done. I think the last report was issued in 2015. Um, I was Obviously, I was not on that commission, but I was one of the appointees uh, from the House Republicans this time with um, Representative Topper and Representative Warner representing us out here at least on the Republican side. So we set out, we were supposed to do this over COVID, but we delayed it until this year. Uh, we were honestly supposed to start in February, but it just kept getting pushed and delayed with all mm -hmm. the stuff that was going on in the House, with trying to get organized right. uh, with the whole speaker debacle. Uh, but we finally started getting things moving over the summer. We had public hearings all over the state. I, I want to say there were at least a dozen uh, from Allentown to Philly to Pittsburgh to, I think we had one well, up in Erie and Harrisburg. They were all over the state. So... We have this panel. We take public input. Um, you have the the Commonwealth Court basically saying that we don't they don't believe that the state is fulfilling our constitutional duties by funding and providing uh, an education equally across the entire state. So everyone took that court ruling as something that the BFC had to fix. And the basic charter of the Basic Education Funding Commission is to come up with a formula on how to distribute that money. And that formula is nothing more than a recommendation. So at the end of this, what we do is is we put out a report that's available on the website. Anyone can go see it. And it's nothing more than a recommendation. The General Assembly ultimately has to be the one to negotiate with the governor to pass whatever funding and formula changes there are. 
So take that for what it's worth. So we go through this whole process and we get down to the end and it, it becomes apparent that we're not going to have a consensus report where everybody's on the same page. But again, everyone, all the advocacy groups out there thought that we were gonna fix everything in this Commonwealth Court case and fix education by doing this. And my position had always been, our job is to fix the formula and adjust the formula. So I believe we did that. And we actually, interestingly enough, actually agreed, had agreement with the administration and all the Democrats on what those formula changes should be. However, the Democrats wanted to take it a step further and put a number on the report. They wanted to put a number on how much more money over the next five years that the state needed to spend in order to f fulfill their, their perceived vision of what adequacy is in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So I thought we had start when, when I was involved in the conversations, it was somewhere around, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say between two and a half to $5 billion over five years more money that they were looking for. Somehow in the last week, they were proposing 10 to $12 billion over a five-year period in their report. Well, from what I heard on the inside, and I'll, I'll share this publicly because mm -hmm. I don't know how much of this is actually out there. Apparently, Governor Shapiro was not on board with that. So he had to negotiate again with his own party to get that number down so that they could then get enough votes to get their recommended report out of the commission. So that was negotiated down over the weekend, actually over the last couple of days before we had the last vote, to I believe what the number was is between five and a half billion to six billion dollars. So the report comes up. There's two reports. The Republican version of the report doesn't put a number in there. Uh, we do put the formula itself in there. We don't say how much number, how much money we want to spend over five years because honestly, that's not the job of this commission. Uh, it comes up for a vote. All the Republicans vote yes, all the Democrats vote no, and the governor's appointees abstain. So again, we have a governor who decides, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to try to bridge the gap and build consensus. I'm going to let the, part of the uh, partisan politics continue and not try to build uh, a negotiated product here. Abstains. So that's the first vote that happens. So the Republican- well, Wait a minute. Let me ask you, when, when, when we abstain on county council, you know, if I abstain, I'm forced to give a, a, a reason- for that abstention. Is that the same there? Was there any reason given by the governor's representatives? No, at least not the, not during the, the actual hearing itself. And I, I didn't see any reports of, of why they abstain. Uh, and I had heard internally that there were, there were actually conversations about whether they could abstain or not, but they decided to abstain. Um, I couldn't tell you why. So we moved on from there. We went to the second report, which, re which was presented by uh, the House Democrats uh, and Mike Sterla. Um, all Republicans voted no. The administration voted yes, and all but one Democrat voted yes, and that was Senator Lindsey Williams, who voted no. Because and it wasn't enough, right? Yes. Because it wasn't enough, and I believe her comments were around, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember exactly what she said, but we weren't. We're, if we're establishing a negotiating point for the budget and where we're going for education funding, I'm not starting here or setting a ceiling here at $5.5 billion. We feel that it should be more. Um, so that's why she voted no. So if you look at it, the report that was actually approved, which is the second report, the Democrat report, actually had more negative votes on it than the Republican report. But to come out and be in that realm of 10 to $12 billion over five years, can you imagine the tax increase that would have to have oh, to happen right. to do hey, that? Hey, folks, hold on to your wallets <laughs> because they're coming after them. I'll tell you that. I mean, no. we had conversations internally where we were talking with the other, like I was talking with the other Democrats on the committee. I'm like, if you want to put up a 10 to $12 billion tax increase, put it up. I, I, I want to see you vote for it. And I want you on record 
that you voted for it because right. that's probably I mean you're probably looking at easily doubling the income tax uh, and now, then some. Now Jason, don't we spend I think it's is it like an on average in Pennsylvania we spend like $21,000 per student for basic education funding? We do. We do and and you know and we'll get back to the the, the whole how if that's spent equally across the state because look, you have some schools that are spending between 10 and 15, you have some that are spending 25 and then you can look at well, okay, what are we getting? What, what kind of results are we getting out of that? Well, right, but my, my, where I'm going right. with this, folks, is that we we spend in the upper. We're top. Five. We're like eighth. Yeah, we're well, we're more we're than top, top half. We're, we're, I'd say we're top. You know, we're top fourth or fifth. I mean, we're up there. Yeah. Okay, like eighth in the country. Per spend, yeah. But our results are not there. That the you know, it, it, listen, I'm not a I'm not a huge believer the test results are the be all to end all. Okay, but it's the only benchmark that we're using right now. So we're spending all this money, you know, and, and we're not receiving the return on that investment that they're asking you to do. And, you know, also enrollment is going down. I'll just use an example, yeah. Pittsburgh Public Schools. In the Pittsburgh Public School District, they spend over $30,000 per student. Their enrollment is down, you know, but they waste a tremendous amount of money. They have facilities that are structured to hold more than double the number of students they have currently enrolled there, you have money being spent on that instead of being spent on educating these kids. Well, and that's the other part of the problem too is we we spend a lot of time talking about school facilities and buildings throughout the state. Look, there are some school buildings out there that are just in complete disrepair, but that's not the state's responsibility. Look, right. the, the state can happily share that with you, but you as a school district, you have you have taxing authority to help keep up with these things, to maintain these buildings, if not to build new buildings. The state is there to help, not build them for you. But I can't tell you how many billions of dollars that they thought we should spend and how many superintendents and school board members came in and said, well, we need more money to build a new building, to build a brand new school or to remediate this. Well, what have you been doing for the last 30, 50 right. years yes. that you've had these buildings? Like, <laughs> like I'm not opposed to the state helping them, but show me what you've done and show me your plan before the state says we're going to cut out, write out the checkbook. But again, that's that's not, in my opinion, facilities are not part of the basic education. Right. We're looking to spread that. So if you've got a school district spending $30,000 a student and one spending 10000 how do we adjust the formula from the state's portion that we're sending to make that more fair across the state? And I think that we, we did that. I really honestly think that that mm -hmm. was successful. We made a better formula. But to come out and say that we need another 5 or $6 billion just to reach adequacy before we can even have a conversation about changing programs – I think is is just it, it it it's not responsible. Well, well, it is, and I, folks in Pennsylvania, it, things are a little bit I don't say screwed up, but they're different than what happens in other states. So back in 1948, when the state decided how they were going to take and spend money or fund education, the decision was made that the primary funder of education was going to be locally, you know, through your uh, property taxes in your local municipality, and that was because they wanted to empower, you know, the local municipalities, believing that the folks closest to those schools, the parents should have the say in how these kids are educated. So when they talk about unfairness in funding here, they're talking about this at the state level, but really the unfairness that when they talk about the discrepancy between, you know, a North Allegheny or an Upper St. Clair and another one isn't because of the state and the state's funding. Right. It's because of the the actual folks in that neighborhood or municipality. You know, it's a, it's a if it's a good neighborhood, they're they're paying more. And we try to, to educate their kids. And there's a lot of info that goes in there. We take all that into account as we're working through the formula. And look, it, to, to do a one size fits all formula for 500 school districts is is really hard. But when you look at that, you know, different 
municipalities and school districts have different ta- I mean, they all have the same taxing authority, but the, the taxing ability is different, which creates those discrepancies, which is where we're trying to talk about with the state portion of that. But it's just, it again, I'll go back. It's irresponsible to come in and say five to six billion dollars. That just gets us at adequacy over the next five years, no matter what you do programming wise. And I and I go back to this, not to 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 go back to the early literacy stuff that I always talk about when I come on here, but. Mm-hmm. If you're doing the wrong things and teaching kids the wrong way to, to read, which has been proven by science not to work, if you're doing that, it doesn't matter how much money you spend, you're still going to get a terrible product and kids still are not going to be able to read proficiently. But if you change the program and you take the money that you wanted to spend for the, the old program and fix it and do teach it the right way, you're going to have more success. You can't just come in and say that more money is going to fix all the problems well, because it's not the case. It's not a exactly, fact. that it's, exactly. it's not true. Well, that's my point. That's where I was trying to point out the Pittsburgh Public Schools and the obscene amount they spend on, you know, not just uh, facilities, but also on administration. You know, it's not going to fund the kids. And I mean, this, this is a frustrating thing. So, so thanks for sharing that with us about the report. Now, where do we go from here? Or, we got the governor's budget address coming up at, right. within a month. So look, then this kind of this feeds right into the governor's budget address. And again, I want to I want to state this. You know, Governor Shapiro said that he supported the school vouchers the past program. All right, during the budget, right. and then he line item vetoes it. All right, but he was nowhere to be found during budget negotiations between June and December last month when we ultimately finished the budget. Where was the governor? trying to build consensus. Look, we have divided government. He goes out there and touts, you know, Pennsylvania is the only state in the country where there's a divided legislature, and divided government. And brags about everything he claims he accomplished. And then does nothing to help bring the leaders from the Senate and the House in his administration together to help find a solution. He, he had that opportunity during the budget to do that with pass and to bring the Democrats and Republicans together, and he didn't do it. He was MIA. So now we're back to this commission where he's got appointees and he's got another prime opportunity to come in and build consensus and bridge the gap between divided government. And they abstain. He's not leading. No, he's not. He's MIA again. Again, when things get hard, he disappears. Like every time there's a disagreement somewhere, that's the, that's the job of a leader to come in. Look, and and I'm not I don't take any pride in criticizing the governor here. I want him to show up. I want him to do what he said he was going to do and do his job. You can't come in every time there's a problem and there's going to be problems because we're a divided government. We have a Democrat House, we have a Republican Senate and a Democrat governor. If you're going to be the governor and the chief executive of this state of 13 million people, guess what? It's not all going to be fun. You got to show up. You got to do the work and you can't be afraid to get your hands dirty. I know he wants to run for president. It's the world's worst kept secret, but you have a job to do now. Right. And you have an opportunity to shine here and you keep going missing. Why? Why? Why do you keep doing that? I mean, I'm I hope that whatever he puts together in this budget address he lives up to. I mean, the voucher program agreement with the Senate. Well, he didn't live up to his promises last year. I know. So I have, like, I don't have any reason to believe anything that's going to be in this budget address is actually going to be in the final product. So last year, we had budget negotiations drag on, you know, and the budget was late last year. And then even after the budget was enacted, you know, it took till, geez, here, well into the fall before we were able to get a fiscal code, fiscal bill written to allow some of the money to be spent. Last month, yeah. Yeah, last month. So we're talking December, okay? And that was only because the public libraries and the community colleges were on the verge of closing and running out of money. Yeah. So now we're here looking at this year. Can you see uh, 
any way we avoid a prolonged uh, you know, budget stalemate here. Judging by the way that he did this last year budget, I, I can't see it. I mean, revenues are down. Last year, we were lucky because revenues were above, above estimates. Mm-hmm. So we had more money to, to use. So there were never, in my opinion, there was never any talk of a tax increase. Um, I still don't think a tax increase is on the table this year because we still have uh, federal dollars and we have money in the rainy day fund. But there's been no work done behind the scenes to work with the Senate leadership or the House leadership to bridge any gap. What, 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 help me understand, what don't the Democrats in Harrisburg understand about the concept of a rainy day fund? Because it seems like they want to spend the entire fund plus more. Because to them, and they have said this um, uh, countless times, and I've seen Democrats say, it's raining now. That's their comment. It's raining now, and they should be able to use that money. Then maybe we need to change the name of it from a rainy day fund to a catastrophic flood fund. <laughs> because that's what's coming here when these federal dollars run out. And that, but that, but that's the problem. We have all this money, and I, I can't, I don't remember that if it's between five and eight billion dollars in the rainy day fund. And the only way that we're going to be able to bridge the gap in this year's budget without a tax increase is to take money out of there, because we're not hitting revenue estimates. The economy is not smooth sailing like it has been. All the money that the federal government has pumped into the state is gone. Yeah. Unemployment's dried up. All the extra ARPA dollar, all that stuff's gone. And now we're starting to see the effects of it. Your schools are starting to see the effects of the ESSER funds disappearing now too. And they were all told like they were back in 2012 or 2010. 2010, yeah. That, hey, this is one-time money coming in. Do not build this into your budgets going forward. And what did a lot of school districts do? They built it into their budget. And what did we do? Built it into the budget. So yeah, the governor, he might be fine this year. But if he doesn't figure out a way, and this is on him at the end of the day, If he doesn't find a way to get the House Democrat leadership in the same room with the Senate Republican leadership to actually have real conversations to get things done, there's no way the budget's going to be done in June. No way. Well, my concern is that, you know, the the, the lack of leadership, he's allowing the Democrats, I mean, they have a one-vote majority, and their focus isn't upon acting or enacting the people's business. It's about growing that one-seat majority. So they're running all kinds of stupid Stupid in my Yeah, opinion. they're not governing. Messaging bills. Yeah, they're not governing. They're not doing what the, the people's, they're not doing the people's work. They're doing political advocacy to grow seats. That You're exactly right. right. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, and they're trying to put Republicans in awkward positions. I mean, uh, they ran a bill that was just stupid, you know, uh, claiming that we would be a sanctuary for folks that might be coming from other states to get an abortion here and blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, we don't prosecute people here for laws broken in other states. That's up to right. other states, right? And, but they try to put Republicans in a difficult position. So if you voted against it, they have the commercials all in the can and teed up. They're going to run that you, you know, you're against women's rights. Yeah, they were going to send it to all <laughs> and, the Democrats. Yeah, women's reproductive freedom, right? Yep. But then when you vote for it, because you agree that you know a woman should be prosecuted, you know, if this were to occur. Uh, then they run, they send text messages to the Republicans in your district, Yep. you know, claiming they're thanking you. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to gin up primary opponents 
It, it, it's and, all and cause trouble. It, it's all political posturing. And I'll say in one of the RCAC newsletters, uh, Representative Natalie Mihalik had the best response I have seen uh, to the shenanigans that the House Democrats are playing. Yeah. So if you, if you haven't had a chance to read that, I'm sure Sam and John have that. Uh, you may you want can, to send that out. You might want another newsletter, John. Go Thank read it. She did a phenomenal up. job putting that together. Um, it, agree, it, it explains yep. it perfectly. Um, and that's exactly how the Democrats ha- have been have been running the House this last year. Um, and honestly, it's been it's exactly what they've been doing to Governor Shapiro and pushing him around. Like, in my opinion, they've made their own governor look weak. Um, and if I were him, I'd be looking for a way to to shake that image, because honestly, to a lot of House Republicans and honestly, to the public, I don't see how he doesn't look weak by allowing a by allowing his own party who has a majority in the House to push him around. Yeah, it's just uh, it's crazy. So, I mean, leading that that leads into this budget, and I, I just again, I don't think that this budget's going to be done on. I hope it is. I hope it's done on time. It's an election year, so everyone's going to want to do that. But the governor that would require the governor to actually come in and lead, uh, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, well, <clears throat> folks, I'm not expecting you to see it either, because as Jason alluded to earlier, the governor has his sights set on a higher office, and so doesn't want to do anything that's going to affect him and his constituency here. And I believe that's another reason why he backtracked on uh, Reggie. Yeah. You know, and when the Commonwealth Court ruled that Governor Wolf's action to try to take and enroll us into Reggie was, uh, you know, violated the Constitution, that only the legislature can obligate the state to that, uh, he decided to appeal it, you know, to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And, you know, as partisan as they have been, you know, I'm concerned of what might come out of there. Yeah. Look, he he is an op- he's had opportunity after opportunity to live up to his word, and he still has more opportunities. Uh, and look, I, I honestly hope that he does, but he hasn't lived up to his word in his first. What are we at now? He, he was sworn in around this time last year, like his first year, not. But he goes on this tour about getting stuff done. Like I got this done, and did like a lot of stuff that he's touting is stuff that we did in the last administration in the last budget, like because that money was available to put out because we didn't have a budget done. Right. Well, what's crazy is look, folks. You know, uh, it's funny for me to say this because I'm in politics, okay? But when you're running for office, that's when you have the letter by your name, the R, the D, the I, or whatever the other parties you don't want to have. But once you're elected, you're supposed to work together on behalf of the people that you represent. And that's the thing that's disappointing and, you know, uh, to me is seeing that that's not occurring. Well, and that's the thing when when Republicans ran the House, and I can only speak for the House because I've been served in the, in the Senate. You know, we realized that we needed to work with the governor. And did we have some issues? Of course, we had some issues, but we were able to work them out for the most part. We showed up, we negotiated, we talked in good faith, and say what you will about Governor Wolf, he always kept his word. If you had a deal with him, that was the deal. Um, I don't know that that's the case with this administration, but I will say Republicans, we we did that. We comp we tried to compromise. So, you know, this is where we are with House Democrat leadership, and we're trying to move forward and try to get the majority back. So, Jason, let me ask you a question here before we you know, have to go with the show. Have any insight? What's happening with elections this year? Well, you know, petitions open up on February, or I'm sorry, uh, January 23rd, run through February 13th. Uh, we have the early primary this year. So uh, right now it's about finding candidates and getting signatures to get on the ballot. So right now we're really hoping we can get our Republicans out to, to not only circulate petitions for us, mm-hmm. but to also sign 
Uh, but that's what we're gearing up for. We'll look at that, the House, uh, the State House. We want to take the majority back. That's going to be instrumental here in Allegheny County. We need to we need to win some races here in Allegheny County in order to do that. Uh, we have um, the, the State Senate is also up for grabs this year, too. We have uh, Senator uh, Devlin Robinson, and I think we have another Senate seat that's in play here as well. Yep. Uh, and we also have um, congressional seat. So, look, we need help. We need signatures. We need petitions. We need to get out there and get moving. Yeah, folks, any of our listeners that are out there, if you're a committee person, you know, work with your committee to find out when they're going to hold their petition signing event and, uh, you know, get some petitions and just take them around with you for the next three, for those three weeks. Uh, you know, we these folks need these signatures to get them on the ballot. And even though you need a minimum, it's 300 to run for state rep. It's 500 to run for state senate. It's 1,000 to run for Congress. Uh, it requires more. Because you, you want to double or even triple these numbers of signatures because you want to make sure that the, the your signatures can't be challenged and get knocked off the ballot because this is something the opposition always looks to do, you know, because getting their name on the ballot, I mean, that's the, that's really, folks, that's the ticket to success, you know, in politics. That's the first step. And, uh, you know, so they try to cut you off of the past so we can use any help. You can give our candidates. Yeah, and the, look, all the candidates usually have events. I know the, uh, the the RCAC will probably have a couple events. Local committees do as well. They have signing events at restaurants. So usually we'll you know offer you some pizza and some drinks, and uh, we'll get you fed. Come on out. That'll be a place to, to stay warm with the, the weather that's coming in, too. But uh, that, that right now is the most pressing need, uh, is to get signatures and to get good candidates on the ballot this year so we can win races, take back the House, maintain the House in Congress, and uh, get— um, and hopefully take the Senate back in Congress as well. Well, absolutely. We've got a great race here with Dave McCormick, great candidate <clears throat> running against Bob Casey. And, you know, one of the things, I, I, who would have guessed that John Fetterman would be saying and doing the things that he's doing right now? I mean, talk about taking, he, he's not, a, you know, for, I mean, I was absolutely against him, thought he was wrong, still believe he's the wrong person here. But I got to give credit where credit's due and the stance he's taken here on both immigration where he said the border needs to be closed when the population of the city of Pittsburgh comes across every single month, okay? And the stance he's taken in defending Israel, you know, and, and standing up to the left-wing protesters here. Uh, you know, the stance he's taken on a number of other issues here. I mean, it. it but I think what it's doing is it's showing the clear-cut lack of leadership that we've gotten from Bob Casey. Yeah, where's Senator Casey been on any of these? He has, I, I've not seen any comments on any of these things that Senator, Senator Fetterman is even discussing. Like, and these are like issues that are important to, like, these are like the top five issues to the voters out there. Like, where is he? Like, how long are we going to let this senator coast on his name? Like, it's time. Look, it, it's time to get a senator who's actually going to work for the people of Pennsylvania. And it's th this is the time. This is the election to do it. Well, I think he's hiding out in that dairy where they take his picture and put it on the milk carton, <laughs> you know, to say, have you seen him? He's missing. But hey, we only have about a minute left. Jason, if someone wants to help you or help your campaign, where would they go? To learn about more information, to volunteer, or to donate. Absolutely. Go to citizensforjason.com. You can donate there. You can sign up to be a volunteer. You can learn more about me. You can see some some pictures of myself and my family, my goals, uh, and some of my accomplishments, because I think that's important, too, is, is a lot of us incumbents have some good track records, especially here in southwestern PA and Allegheny and, and Washington. So please check me out, citizens uh, citizensforjason.com. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us here today. Can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And folks, if you're not already involved, with the Republican Committee of Allegheny County, please go to our website at allegheny.gop. That's allegheny.gop. And please sign up. You can donate, you can volunteer, or you can leave comment there. And we look forward to hearing from you. Folks, as always, 
you know, time when we're having fun, we run out of time here. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today on our show. Absolutely, Sam. Thanks for having me. Get out, sign petitions, everyone. And folks, until next week, this is Sam DeMarco and the Elephant in the Room. See you then.